Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you love tennis and want to improve your game, this podcast is for you. Whether it's technique, strategy, equipment, or the mental game, tennis professional Ian Westerman is here to make you a better player. And now, here's Ian. Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Today's episode of the Essential Tennis Podcast is brought to you by TennisTours.com, where you can receive a discount off your next purchase of professional tennis tournament tickets by using the promotional code ESSENTIAL with a capital E. Well, thank you very much for downloading today's show and for listening to it. I appreciate it very much. I'm going to be playing the second half of the conversation that I had with Master Racket Technician Jeremy Plumley, and that f- the first half of our conversation was released as podcast number 124. So Jeremy and I today are going to continue our talk about gear and how to select rackets and strings and how to use lead tape and all kinds of stuff. So it's going to be a good conversation. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. Back on the podcast with me is Jeremy Plumley, who is a master racket technician, and we just wrapped up episode number 124. When you hear um, this conversation, it will probably be a couple weeks later because I have some other guests uh, lined up for, for next week's show, which will be 125. So I don't know what episode this will be exactly, Jeremy, probably 126 or 127, but uh, I'm looking forward to continuing our conversation that we just recorded for episode number 124. So um, it hasn't been as long this time. Welcome back to the show. Well, let's hope that technology hasn't changed a lot from the time we recorded this until people actually get to hear it. Yeah. Good point. Uh, yeah, I know. Hopefully, yeah, I, I just uh, quit and saved everything to make sure we didn't lose that uh, uh, episode number 124 conversation file either. So, yeah, hopefully everything works out here. But we uh, just got done talking about uh, racket fads, different types of strings, and also using uh, lead tape to change the balance of your racket. So if you haven't listened to podcast number 124, definitely go back and check that out. Uh, but we've got a couple more questions to get to on today's show. Jeremy, I, I appreciate you sticking around and continuing to answer questions from my listeners. We uh, we all appreciate it very much. Happy to do it. Love it. All right. So let's uh, move on here. And this question comes to us from John. He wrote to me and said, I have been experimenting with lead tape. I tried putting a lot on the throat of the racket to make it more head light, and I put some on the end of the head to put more spin on my shots. Those are the two places on the racket that I know will make a specific difference in my game. Could you explain where one should put weight on his or her racket to make a certain change to his or her game? So um, John here is referencing uh, putting more weight in the the tip of the racket at, at the top of the head of the racket to create more spin. In episode number 124, Jeremy also talked about putting uh, weight up there towards the tip to create more power, essentially more racket head speed. Um, why don't you tell us about the other different places we can put lead and what kind of uh, differences our listeners can expect as far as results? Oh, well, like John said, you know, putting the racket up at the tip of the racket, up at the tip of the head, 
uh, you're going to get your most bang for your buck. You're going to feel it the most there because adding the lead tape up at the tip increases your swing weight the most. So even if you put a little bit up there, you're going to feel a difference. Um, and then as you take it further down, uh, you get less change in swing weight, uh, but there are other benefits. Um, a lot of times uh, what you'll see people do is they'll add lead tape around uh, 3 o'clock and 9 o'clock in the racket head uh, because that'll stabilize the racket head a little bit um, on off-center hits. You know, you get that racket twisting in your hand. Uh, by adding weight at 3 o'clock and 9 o'clock, you're putting just a little bit of extra mass on the further the furthest point from the sweet spot, and it'll sure that up a little bit, um, maybe give you a little bit more stability on what might be a little off-center shot. Um, as you bring the racket, uh, as you bring the lead tape further down the racket, you're adding weight to the frame overall, but you're not adding as much swing weight. So you're probably going to get a little bit more uh, stability, a little bit more plow through, but you're not really raising the weight that it feels while you're swinging through the shot. You're not going to get as much extra pop on your ground stroke that way, but you are going to you know, bring that balance point just a little bit more towards the bottom of the frame. Okay. I, I remember um, on, on my rackets, uh, personally, Jeremy, you added... Uh, where did you add the weight? I, I remember when I first got my K pro tour um i i like the racket overall but i just wanted a little bit more uh, kind of pop uh behind my volleys I, I wanted to be able to hit just a little deeper uh without trying so hard to be able to to have to hit through it to create depth on my volleys now i, I remember that you put some at uh nine and three o'clock uh, did you add weight in other places on my frame as well to to give me that specific uh result that i was looking for uh, yeah, I don't remember specifically how much we put on there, but we basically put lead tape from 12 o'clock all the way down on both sides, down to 3 o'clock and 9 o'clock. We put some underneath the uh, bumper guard, um, and then uh, to kind of so it didn't get completely out of whack, uh, I also put a little bit, um, I think we put some towards the top of the grip, I don't think we put any in the throat, um, but most of the lead was up in the hoop of the frame okay. uh, just to give you a little bit more solid uh, solid surface to hit off of for those volleys because the racket was pretty significantly headlight, uh, not as much as like the K61, uh, but it was a headlight racket, so just putting a little bit more mass up in the hoop there uh, just to give you a little bit of extra bump on that volley. Yeah, I thought I remembered you putting some in the, in the handle as well. So, I mean, essentially, if you take um, a racket and add a little bit of weight in all of those places, a little bit in the handle, a little bit at 9 and 3, and a little bit at the tip, I mean, does that essentially kind of accentuate all of the, the qualities that the frame had originally, or is it going to turn it into a completely different feeling racket by increasing the weight everywhere? Uh, if If you... If you spread that out evenly, it's it's it should keep its general playing characteristics, but add but um, uh, increasing the total weight of the racket. Um, if you go crazy in one direction, 
um, it's going to throw things out of whack. Um, we added more weight uh, to the tip of your racket than we did to the grip. Mm-hmm. So we actually brought the balance point closer to head heavy. Um, it was still a headlight racket, um, but we didn't completely polarize it, which is when you add the same amount to the top and the bottom, so you're keeping that balance the same. Okay. Well, cool stuff. It's, it's interesting how it's possible to change the playing characteristics of a frame or kind of keep them, keep them the same, but kind of get more so of what you're feeling before uh, by balancing it out in, in different areas. I, I think that's pretty cool. Is that something that you recommend recreational players uh, experiment with, or should that be left to trained professionals like yourself? Um, I think it, it's something that you can, you can play around with. Um, I think that, uh, Tennis players are are a little bit behind the curve on this one. Uh, you know, golfers for years have been customizing their clubs to fit their specific playing styles. Uh, tennis players, however, tend to just take a racket off the wall, and they might do the research to find out how it fits with their game or not, and they just go out and play with it. Um, and you know, they 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 find a lot of success in that. But uh, there are things that you can do, you know, to make that racket play a little bit better for you. Um, I think if, you, if you're looking for a little bit more stability and you want to add some weight at 3 o'clock and 9 o'clock, that you're probably okay to do that. I think if you're looking to um, really change the characteristics of the racket, you should at least um, kind of consult with your teaching professional or you know, you could email into a specific podcast that, you know, you and I know of. Um, but if, if it's just a little thing here and there, um, yeah, you should, you should go ahead and, and, you know, and try it out. But, you know, if you're going to go crazy, try and match a couple rackets or try and make your new racket feel more like your old one, you probably want to talk to somebody who, uh, who has a pretty good idea of what they're doing. Okay. Let's uh, head to our next question here. And we, we're going to, Answer a couple more from Gavin here. Uh, next question from Gavin. How do you think racket weight affects play? For example, I love the weights and heft of a Dunlop 4D200 racket on ground strokes. And he says that's about 330 grams of static weight. I feel it allows me to hit hev- a heavier ball, and my opponents notice this as well. However, I feel I struggle to get enough racket head speed on my serve. On the flip side, if I play with, say, a 300-gram racket, I can get the head speed on the serve, but I feel that my ground strokes lack penetration, and all I seem to get is spin. Is all of this simply down to ability, or is equipment a factor as well? What do you think, Jeremy? Uh, well, equipment doesn't change everything, uh, as much as um, the, the manufacturer would like to tell you that buying the newest technology is <laughs> to change your game. Um, but it, what it comes down to is your technique and how you're swinging the racket uh, to what what's going to happen with the ball. Uh, now that being said, you know you, you want to use the right equipment. Um, if you have a heavier racket and you can get through the ball, you are going you should be able to hit a heavier ball with more topspin because you've got more mass imparting its force on the ball. Uh, you know 
that's the plus side of heavy racket. The the downside, like he said, is you know he's having trouble getting pop on his on his serve because he can't swing the racket as fast as he could with the lighter one. Um, the downside to the lighter racket is you know you don't have as much mass imparting its force on the ball. So <laughs> kind of a catch you know, twenty two. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean it it really is. Um, the trick is you know finding somewhere in the middle there where, you know, you can find a racket that, you know, balances those pluses and minuses out. Hmm. Um, I like to tell people that they should probably be using, you know, the heaviest racket that they can comfortably swing, you know, for a good amount of time because they're going to get more out of that than they will a super lightweight racket. You know, you might get a lot of power from that nine-ounce racket that's, you know, as wide as a baseball bat, but you're giving up control there. I also like to have people use heavier rackets because it keeps their strokes from getting short and punchy. Yeah, that's that's the main reason why I push people towards a heavier frame. Um, and I, I basically tell people the same thing. I, I like to put rackets into the hands of my students that are basically the heaviest and smallest racket that they're still comfortable with. And exactly for the reason you just pointed out, uh, when recreational players, especially beginners, get a really light racket put in their hands uh, that creates a lot of power on its own without good technique, usually beginners will kind of fully take advantage of that and use crappy technique <laughs> and just let the racket do all the work. And, and that's great at first, and it feels you know good at first, but that can really limit your guy's technique in the long run as you try to continue to advance. Um, so that can be kind of dangerous, uh, can it, Jeremy, to, to go for the kind of lighter, more powerful rackets? Yeah, absolutely. I, I really don't like to have beginners use those lightweight rackets for the same, same reason you were saying. Um, when you're learning the game, particularly if you're working with a professional, you want to really develop your mechanics, develop the strokes, and then, you know, find that right racket that goes in there. Um, you don't want to start off, you know, with those short, punchy strokes because it's just going to be harder in the long run to start putting topspin on the ball, to start getting depth with it as you start using heavier rackets. Okay. Um, just one more question having to do with this, with, with the weights. What do you suggest Gavin does? I, I mean, the two rackets he's talking about, they're they're not a... Uh, well, they're not a huge difference in weight. A 300-gram racket and a 330-gram uh, weight racket. What do you suggest he does to try to bridge the gap uh, between these two rackets? Maybe put some lead tape on the 300-gram racket, or should he try to find a, a racket that's manufactured in between these two weights to try to get the best of both worlds? What do you think? Um, I would tend to... Uh probably start off with the lighter one and then maybe try experimenting with some lead tape. Um, it wouldn't hurt because he obviously knows about what weight he's looking for. He's got, you know, pretty much an ounce difference in those two rackets, but it's all in where the weight's distributed. Okay. So, um, if he goes with the lighter one, he has a little bit more freedom to, you know, kind of change the playing characteristics of the racket to something that might suit him better. Um, 
but he could also demo some rackets, you know, that kind of fall in between there. And there's no shortage of rackets um, in that zone. Uh, I know he was talking about the uh, the Dunlop 4D200. Um, you know, he could he could try the uh, the 4D300 Tour, um, which is a little bit you know lighter than that 4D200. Um, but there's there's no shortage of rackets in that general with those general characteristics. I'm sure he could find something that he likes there. All right. Well, before we get to our next question, I want to remind my listeners about the official sponsor of the Essential Tennis Podcast, and that is Championship Tennis Tours. You can find them at tennistours.com. And I've been talking a lot about the U.S. Open ticket packages where you guys can customize your trip as far as how close to the action you get and what hotel you stay at. They have a couple different hotel uh, choices that you can make. Between five-star hotels, you get a shuttle back and forth and get to choose between a, a uh, tour of New York City, tickets to a Yankees game, to a Broadway show. What I don't think I've been talking a lot about, though, is that you guys can also purchase individual tickets. You don't have to go for a huge U.S. Open ticket package. So no matter what your budget is, or no matter how long you're planning on going to the U.S. Open this year, go to TennisTours.com, check them out, and even if you just make a purchase for the cheapest ticket and one day, one session, and use the promotional code ESSENTIAL with a capital E, you will still get the discount and you'll still get the invitation to a cocktail party in Times Square where myself and Will of Fuzzy Yellow Balls will be as well. So go check them out, and I thank them very much for their, for their support of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Next up, Gavin wants to know, what are your views about racket head sizes? I've played with rackets with head sizes of 95 square inches, 98, and 100 square inches. I find that the sweet spot is bigger on the 100 square inch racket, but I don't seem to have as much directional accuracy as I do with the with the 95 square inch racket. What um, what do you suggest? Uh, I'm sorry. Would you suggest going with a smaller head size so that I'm challenged to improve? What do you think? Um, as far as the head size goes, there um, it's not a big difference. Uh, from a 95 to a 100. If you put a 95 square inch racket up with a 100 square inch racket, you're not going to see a big difference in hitting area. Uh, that being said, the larger the head, the more powerful the racket, um, which basically breaks down to a larger sweet spot. But with the smaller headed rackets, with the smaller sweet spot, that sweet spot is actually more potent. So, something to think of there. Um, now, is that is that just because the smaller headed rackets typically have more weight to them, or is it actually directly because the the hitting surface is smaller that, that it's more of a you said potent uh, result? Um, it, it's just kind of you've just got that smaller area, but you've got more energy in that little area because it's not spread out as much. Hmm. Um, it's kind of like, you know, if, if you, if you've taken, you know, Taekwondo or, or some sort of martial arts class or, you know, even boxing, 
you know, they, they tell you that, they, that you want to get as much energy into your punch as you can. So it, it's a very small, you know, hitting zone, but it's, it's very strong and powerful. And, and it's kind of that same idea um, with, with the smaller sweet spot. Um, it's tougher to find the sweet spot, but you're going to get more payoff when you do hit it. Um, the difference between a 95 square inch racket and a 100 square inch racket isn't isn't that big, um, but there there will be a, a difference in you know the potency of that sweet spot. So uh, so how come the lighter rackets are are always uh, considered to be you know the power rackets? If if it's actually the case that you get more out of a well hit shot with a with a smaller uh, racket face. Um, normally, when they talk about the power levels of those rackets, they're they're looking at the overall hitting area, and you know they might they might give uh, a B plus power rating to something that hits an inch outside of the sweet spot hmm. in those big banger rackets, and it might be like a C um, on the smaller ones. Uh, the big difference between those large-headed, powerful rackets and the smaller-headed rackets is stability. Um, if you hit an off-center shot on a 115-square-inch uh, racket out near you know, the shoulders around 3 o'clock or 9 o'clock, you're going to get a lot of twisting um, just because there's so much space in between the frames from point A to point B. Um, on the smaller ones, say you know, a 90-square-inch racket or a 95-square-inch racket, there's not as much space. So you've got a better chance of actually getting that ball back over and in the court if it's off center with the smaller headed racket. So wait, hold on a second. So you're telling me that when the manufacturers say that you'll get more power with that huge, you know, nine ounce racket, you're telling me that by power they don't actually mean more miles per hour that the ball is is traveling as it leaves the as it leaves the racket. Well, you are okay. Um, well, let's let's talk about this in terms of, you know, all things being equal. Okay. Okay. Because normally, what happens is with those lighter rackets, you have a much wider beam, which is going to give you more power. So it's it's not really necessarily a result of the sweet spot that you're getting the more power. It's the fact that the racket is lighter, you can swing it faster, and you've got a wider, stiffer frame that's going to give you that power. But if you take two rackets that you know, are, you know, the same width and same beam, uh, same beam width same, and uh, different head sizes, you're going to get, you know, more power from the larger one just because you get more trampoline effect off of the strings. And by power, and by power you're, you're meaning like literally like speed of the shot. Right. Okay. Right. You're, because you're going to get more of a catapult effect. Gotcha. If you're swinging... At the same at the same speed, everything else is equal. A smaller head is going to be less powerful than a larger head. Okay, but it's going to be more stable. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they might have they might have to post something on the boards to get a better clarification on that one. That one uh, was a pretty complex sort of answer. Okay. I think it's good to talk through that stuff, and uh, I think there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to the. I, you know the terminology that the racket manufacturers use, and um, I think there's a lot of—I don't want to say misleading—on uh, the. Well, maybe I should use that word. 
uh, on the side of the manufacturers. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of marketing that goes on that leads people to believe that you'll actually hit a better shot because of X or Y technology or because of the size or the uh, size of the racket or, or whatever. Um, I mean, how much of that is actually the case and how much of it is uh, just trying to get you to buy the, the newest, uh, you know, latest, greatest frame? Well, you know, a lot of it's marketing. Um, but you know what? I don't think that the manufacturers are just going to boldface lie to you. <laughs> I'm sure that there's a way that they can measure that 20% increase in power from technology A to technology B. Whether you can replicate those findings in a non-laboratory situation, that's up for debate. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's move on to our, our final question here. And this has to do with the gauge of different strains. And uh, last question here comes to us from Gavin as well. And Gavin, by the way, thanks uh, for all of your well-thought-out uh, questions. He, he wrote me several weeks ago and, and said that, hey, you know, Ian, you should talk more about gear on the podcast. And um, I said, well, go ahead and submit some questions. And next time I have Jeremy on, I'll be happy to answer them. And um, he really did his homework. <laughs> he sent in uh, quite a few. Uh, so here's the last one from Gavin. He said, on the same subject of strains, what difference do you think the gauge makes to the playability of the strains? And th- this is something I've always been a little confused about. I, I know that certain gauges are supposed to create more or less spin, assuming you're you know hitting a, a spin shot uh, correctly. Um, I, I've heard in some places that you're supposed to get more or less power based on the gauge. What, what are the actual facts on that? Um, basically, um, going back to the all things being equal, Mm -hmm. uh, a thinner gauge string is going to give you more bite on the ball, uh, which is going to lead to more spin, which should lead to more control. Um, you're also going to have better feel, uh, with that. Um, a thicker string on the other side is, should give you more power. Um, again, all things being equal. Uh, the obvious distinction between a thin gauge and a thick gauge is durability. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thinner gauge is obviously going to break quicker than a thicker gauge. Okay. Now, it's, uh, it's interesting because it, seems, it would seem like, I think to a lot of people at first blush, that a thicker gauge would actually create more spin because there's more you know, strain actually touching the ball uh, as contact is made. Um, why is it that a thinner gauge is, is actually creating more spin? Um, just because it's, you know, it, it's kind of the same theory as, as a knife. You can, you can cut through something better with, you know, a sharp instrument like a knife than you could with, you know, a um, a thicker one, like ah, a two by four. They must have taught you that at uh, Master uh, Racket Technician Training Camp, huh? That's right. Yeah, so it was boot camp, and what they <laughs> did was they had us sit with uh, with piano wire and uh, two by fours. Nice. <laughs> but it's, it, I mean, that that's the that's kind of you know two extremes. Um, you know, the difference between an eighteen gauge string and you know a fifteen gauge string isn't isn't that dynamic. Um, but just think about, you know, that thinner, that thinner string is actually biting into the ball 
um, and grabbing it and kind of, you know, imparting its force on the ball, um, while that thicker one is just kind of bludgeoning it <laughs> and going through it. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense to me, and hopefully to everybody else listening as well. Um, anything else to add, Jeremy? We talked about, um, in this show, we talked about different uh, gauges just now, different head sizes, different weights of racket, and first question had to do with lead tape, uh, putting lead tape in different positions on the racket. Anything else to add on uh, any of those topics um, before we wrap things up? Um, yeah, just a couple things, yeah. um, because there there is some confusion, I think, with um, with some people about the gauge, um, what is thicker and what is and what is thicker. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, you know, an 18 gauge string is thinner than a 17 gauge string, and that's important uh, to uh, to get straightened out, huh? Yeah, because you know people think, well, it's a lower number; it might be a thinner diameter. Um, an, an average. Uh, an average gauge string is normally 16 gauge, um, and you can normally find um, up to 18 gauge is the thinnest. Uh, 15 gauge normally tends to be about the thickest you can find. Um, so that's just something to think about when you start looking online for uh, strings. Uh, the other thing is in terms of the lead tape, and uh, we always we always kind of joke about this, um, you know you are working with lead. So if you are putting lead tape on your racket, after you do that, make sure to wash your hands um, because while they're, while it is safe to use, you still want to take general precautions. Um, Don't let your children chew on the lead tape. No, no. Keep it away from the kids. Yes. Particularly if you have uh, a son like mine who likes to put everything in his mouth. <laughs> Leave the lead tape up on the top shelf. That's right. All right. Well, Jeremy, thank you uh, very much for your time and uh, for your expertise. It's been good to have you back on the show again. And I I know that the listeners of my show all all appreciate your inputs and uh, your time and uh, answering their questions as well. So thank you. uh, Thank you very much. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. It's always a joy. That does it for episode number 126 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Thank you very much for listening to today's show. I appreciate it very much. And if you're not already downloading the show using iTunes, I really suggest that you do that. You can subscribe to the show and make it download automatically every Monday when I release the podcast. And if you already do use iTunes, please do me a favor. Go to the iTunes Music Store and rate and leave a review for the Essential Tennis Podcast. It helps with the the ratings for the show on the iTunes Music Store, and um, I I would appreciate your time very much if you wouldn't mind heading over there and uh, and doing that. That'd be great. Okay, that does it for this week. Thanks again, uh, everybody. Take care, and good luck with your tennis. Tennis.